the cross All our sins are placed upon Him For the greatness of His love Willingly He bore our sorrows Calvary's lamb will prevent thine Lost without Him, this is Jesus excited to be here today. We've got some especially uh, exciting speakers and some especially exciting singers, some of which you just got to hear. Uh, I do want to give you a little bit more introduction at this time, if you were here earlier, concerning our special music folks that are here today. Uh, they gave me a very short leash earlier. Um, you know those dog leashes, you know, where that you push the button and it goes out longer? I pushed the button. It's going out longer. Okay. All right. They did remind me there is a trap door up here, so I have to be careful. Thad's already reaching for the remote control. We, we are honored to, be, uh, to have with us today Dr. Juan Sanchez and his wife, Kristen. They are co-workers of Christy Russell and myself at the Grace School of Theology. The Grace School of Theology, for anybody who's not familiar with it, is a seminary and a Bible college, and we have a teaching site in Houston, but our, I mean our, uh, here in Trustville, the main campus is in Houston. Juan and Kristen, though, are from Cocoa Beach, Florida. Juan is originally from the Dominican Republic, and he's been here in the United States for about 20 years. And, you know, we're big mission-minded church here, and you need to know that Juan actually met Kristen. He was living in the Dominican Republic, and her dad well, is a very active pastor, and he would send groups down to the Dominican and that's actually how they originally met. So 
I'll let Juan tell you sometime more of the details on that particular story, but uh, it's very exciting that they came to know each other. Now, I knew Juan from work, and we had been, uh, we deal, I work in the student services department, and had seen one, you know, with customary uh, higher education stuff. And one day we were at a staff retreat, and we had wandered in, a few of us had wandered into a auditorium that they have there, and they had this nice fancy piano sitting out. And all of a sudden, one says, hey, I, I see this. And so he goes over and sits down behind this thing, and I'm thinking, okay, what's this all about? And the next thing I know, this guy is playing up a storm. There's no music, there's nothing, and I mean, he is going to town. I'm like, whoa, I had no idea that this guy could do this. So I learned a completely different side of Juan Sanchez. Now, just for background information, I'm not going to give you everything, but you need to know that Dr. Sanchez is a, um, he is the dean of international programs at the Grace School of Theology. He uh, has been to many schools. I will not tell you all of them, but he has, he has many degrees. He has a degree in music. He is has a degree in law, he's, believe it or not, he's a lawyer, and he is a theologian, and he already has his uh, Master of Divinity, and he is currently working on his doctoral uh, program. So we're very excited for his diversity there. Now, his wife is actually the main player here. I've been talking about one because he's the co-worker. However, Kristen, she's the one with a really good voice, and so we're really excited about having her here. Kristen is a licensed counselor, down in Florida, and she also is an adjunct professor for us where she teaches counseling uh, to our, some of our programs at the Grace School of Theology. These folks most especially love the Lord, and they love to lift his name. And I want you to really uh, join in with them and sing along and have a good time this morning. And please, I w- at this time, I want you to give a warm welcome to Juan and Kristen. <laughs> If y'all would stand this morning, we're going to do another song that might be a little new to you, but I hope you can jump in. And it's all about glorifying King Jesus today, right? Amen. Sing, Lord, you are good. Lord, you are good and your mercy. voices. Let's do that again. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. One more time. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. People from every nation and tongue, from generation to generation, Thank you. 
are good. All right? Here we go. It goes like this. You are good all the time, all the time. You are good. You are good all the time, all the time. You are good. One more time. You are good all the time, all the time. You are next song I was thinking about how powerful it is learning about creation and the song that came to my heart was the song indescribable so if you know it, if you could sing it along with us that would be wonderful
Thank you, Juan and Kristen. Listen to the words of Paul. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I'm going to have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much that you've given us the ability to praise you. We understand, Lord, that it is only by your grace that we stand complete. We thank you that, Lord, we're not trusting in man or man's concepts. But if we belong to you, Lord, we're trusting in what you've already said from your word. And we believe that, as Paul wrote, It's by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing else that man is saved. That comes into a relationship with you, Father, through the Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for our time this morning, for the praise team first service and the choir this service, and for Juan and Kristen as they led us. Thank you for their heart in that. Lord, we look forward to what you're going to teach us through uh, Dr. Thomas this morning as we listen. And I pray that we would have attentive hearts and that your spirit would use the things that are spoken as we have opportunity to represent you in our lives. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
It's a privilege to have Dr. Thomas with us from ICR. And um, yeah, just on a personal note, Dr. Thomas, I really appreciate um, your study and the time that you've invested um, over the years so that you can stand before a congregation of people, God's church, and reinforce the things that God has said from his word. And so we thank the Lord for him changing you, and we look forward to uh, hearing you again. Come on, Dr. Thanks again, and good morning again. We are going to uh, look again at the scripture that you just read, Pastor, Colossians 1. Um, I want to give you sort of why, how is it that I'm, I mean, I'm not from here. I'm from somewhere else. But I'm visiting, and how is it that I'm here? And so uh, I want to give you sort of the, how that all began as you turn in your Bibles to um, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to zoom in in particular on verse 16. Um, it all began when I was in college. I was, well, I, my freshman year, I was here. I graduated from uh, high school in Huntsville. Um, and then I went to Jacksonville State uh, University, a small school here in Alabama. And then my par- uh, my, I, my, I got a phone call in my dorm room. This is back before cellular telephones so I got it you know the phone was actually wired to the wall weird thing and uh, son this is your dad and we my dad's in the army we were stationed in um, Redstone Arsenal and he said don't come home for Thanksgiving we have moved to Texas <laughs> okay so so I visited you know when he got stationed to um, he, he got stationed to um, uh, Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio that's a long schlep you know, so my mom drove up here, picked me up from school, and we drove back a, two, a few days, and it was just, I was like, this, the logistics of this is not going to work, so I need to transfer to a new school. So I transferred to a new school, um, and I went to school uh, at um, Stephen F. Austin State University in East Texas, a little town called Nacogdoches, college town, and in, at, at Stephen F. Austin, why did I go there? Because they had a forestry program. And why do I want to study forestry? I want to f- study forestry and ecology because I want to save the earth from all the pollution. And I was a tree-hugging guy. And um, so while I'm there studying how to save the earth, um, uh, I, was on, I was on campus. And a guy approached me and said, with a cadre of people and followers, what are you doing, and what are you all about? So we had this conversation, and he, he said, so you are a Christian? I was like, well, yeah, but at the time I knew I wasn't living like a Christian. Um, so he said, well, well, if you're a Christian, then you should go witnessing. We're out witnessing. You should come with us. And so I picked up my skateboard and walked with them, and my life's been completely different ever since, just because they were out doing the Lord's work. And I wanted to know what makes these people tick. I want to, I want to walk with them. And so uh, I got back to, and his, the leader's name was Kurt, K-U-R-T, and um, I got back to Kurt's apartment that night, and we had the longest discussion. We talked about everything. We talked about where it all came from, and can you trust the Bible, and I had all these objections, 
you can't trust the Bible because evolution's true and evolution's not in the Bible. That was one of my main objections. And, uh, and, and so he said, so he said uh, well, he had, he had answers to all of them. Every question I had, he had some kind of answer to, and which I had never knew that there were answers. I never knew that there was a, a, another side. I just thought it was, you know, evolution is fact, and, and so you can't trust all that the Bible says. Because after all, if you look at Genesis 1, it's got, um, it's got uh, creation according to kinds. Evolution says creatures morph between kinds. So that's the opposite. Uh, six days, millions of years. That's totally different. Uh, through the creative power of the spoken and authoritative word of God, that's the means of creation. Um, but over here, it's, well, it wasn't creative. It wasn't purposeful. It was just accidental. So, in fact, it was due to the deaths of millions of unfit. So we have here life giver giving life, and here is death accidentally bringing forth life. I mean, it's opposite in every way. Um, and I started to recognize these things in this conversation. So he answered all my questions, and he said, Brian, all this has been fun. We had a great conversation tonight, but A, I got to get to bed because I have class tomorrow morning, and B, the bottom line is the Lord Jesus wants you. He wants you. It's, not, it's, not, it's no longer academic. He wants you to, to, to give your life to him, to serve him with all you got. And I thought, really? Because I thought that, I thought that when you trust Jesus for salvation, you just get a, you know, a free ticket out of hell card. And you could live your life the way you want to live. But he's saying, no, there's a new way. You can actually live this life today for him. But I had reservations. Should I really trust Jesus with everything I've got, all my energy, all my time, all my efforts? Um, I've concluded now that, yes, I should, but then I had doubts. I was like, is he worth trusting? Is he, for example, is he um, trustworthy enough to have preserved for us the truth about where we came from? And so I would like us to elevate the Lord Jesus this morning. And it's so easy to do that based on what we've already been doing. And the music has elevated the Lord Jesus. And so I feel like my job is pretty easy this morning. Uh, elevate uh, the Lord Jesus as creator through the three aspects uh, that we see in Colossians uh, 1.16. So what did, what did Kurt, Kurt do in that, in that apartment? Um, I would go back to his apartment. I'd say, I would say, man, sh show me more about the Bible. And then he would say, wait a minute, do you still believe in evolution? <laughs> well, yeah, because that's scientific. And he says, what, what experiment, what ex I mean, science is about experiments, right? What experiment shows that evolution happened or is happening? I was like, I, I, I don't know, but it's, it's somewhere. <laughs> it's, so he asked me again, what experiment? What's scientific about it? Uh, well, I don't know. And he asked me six times over the course of six consecutive weeks. And I said, I am sick and tired of you asking me about evidence for evolution. It's just a fact, okay? Because everyone believes it. <laughs> that was my evidence. He goes, well, if you, if you don't have any science to back it up, maybe you should look at what these other scientists are saying who believe the Bible and don't agree with evolutionary principles from death to life over millions of years from between creatures. They don't agree with that. Have you read what they have to say? And I, and, and I said, wait a minute, light bulb. I'll read this creation-based book that my buddy Kurt's lending me. I'll refute it. And I'll tell Kurt, ha, 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 this is why this book is a bunch of trash. 
Okay, so he lent me the book, and I said, you'll stop bothering me about my belief in evolution, and then I'll hand the book back, you know, and I'll refute it. And so I had a, one of those yellow, uh, no, the legal pads, you know, you flip the paper over, had one of those, pen in hand, page one. The book was titled, get this horrible title, Scientific Creationism. I mean, it might as well be titled, Don't Ever Read Me Because I'm Quack Science, you know. <laughs> And, uh, but so I, I had to refute Kurt, and so I opened up page one, and you know, okay, whoever wrote this know, knows how to put sentences together, so that's good. And then page two, oh, this actually makes some kind of sense. Page three, I've never thought of it this way. Chapter three, oh, no one told me this. My page is still blank. Chapter four, oh, this explains the real world better than I've ever heard it explained. And it happens to fit Genesis creation. Wow. All the while, God must have been up in heaven going, I've got some plans for you. <laughs> because the author of that book was Dr. Henry Morris, the president and founder of the Institute for Creation Research, for which I now work. <laughs> so he had his plans in mind. Uh, what happened with me? Creation transformation. Read the book. Started, started seeing the evidence that supports Scripture, and then I went back to cre classic creation passages like Colossians 1. Let's read it together. Um, but I have to get prepped because I'm getting old enough to where I need to wear my papaws. Put my papaws on. Colossians 1, let's, let's look at this together. Uh, let's start at verse 13 to get some context here. Um, for, he, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness... Are you with me? Colossians 1, 13. Uh, and so he saved us. He rescued us, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Okay, so here we are. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. He plucks us out of that death of trespass. He rescues us. Well, now what's he going to do with us? He's going to transfer us to his kingdom. So he's doing the rescuing. He's doing the transferring. Look at these great verbs. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he's redeemed us. In other words, paid the price to buy us back. And he's forgiven us. This is, a pretty, this is a pretty awesome God, that he would do all these things for us. Uh, well, for he is, verse 15, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, that means he has the right to inheritance, not that he, was, not that he had beginnings. The Lord Jesus had no beginning. Anyway, firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. When I first read that, I thought, well, this can't be right. Because I know it's not, it's not by him all things were created. It's by natural processes all things were created. So what changed my mind? Well, Dr. Fisher was my zoology professor. That's the study of zoos, right? <laughs> no, it's the study of animals. When he taught us to memorize which animal type evolved into which type, and so we had to memorize the order of evolution of all these animals. And so some of the first animals to have evolved we were taught and we had to memorize were, um, you know, the, uh, the, the sea anemones, and then, and then how do you say it? The one, it's like a jellyfish, but it's upside down. 
and its tentacles. Have you seen the Finding Nemo movie with the everyone who doesn't have white hair is nodding their heads? Yeah, Finding Nemo. It's a movie. It's got uh, it's a cartoon movie, and there's a little clownfish that swims in between the tentacles. Now the tentacles have stinging cells on them, and they don't um, they don't sting the clownfish, but they do sting other fish that happen to swim in between the tentacles. They get stung, trapped, zapped, and digested. But the not not so the clownfish. Anyway, you're supposed to. Um, Remember and memorize this evolved first, and then millions of years later, sea slugs evolved. Totally different kind of animal, uh, but there's sea slugs. So you know what a slug is? Nodding of the heads, recognition of slugs. Some of you aren't nodding. It's like a snail without a shell, and it lives in the sea. And um, I actually got to touch one uh, a couple months ago in Maui, so that was fun. A real sea slug. And I, when I talk about these sea slugs, I could say, I even touched one. It's slimy. <laughs> Certain species of sea slug. Okay, so that's what I had to memorize. This evolved first, this evolved millions of years later. In this journey of evolution, supposedly. Well, then I started reading, like I said, the other side. And these creation-based authors were telling more to the story that Dr. Fisher was not telling me. And I remember reading the article. And it was in a creation-based magazine, much like our magazine, Acts and Facts. Theirs was a subscription, but ours is free. Sign up. Um, in, the, in the sea, here's what happens. Here's the slug. It comes up to the sea anemone, and it, it eats the tentacles. Like, it doesn't get its mouth stung by those stinging cells. No one knows how. And it eats the tentacle tissue, and it actually separates the stinging cells from the rest of the cells within that tentacle. And then it digests the non-stinger cells, but what does it do with the stinging cells that are in its gut? Well, on the back of these, well, look, I got a picture of it. On the back of these, they're called nudibranchs, sea slug, nudibranch. They've got these uh, finger-like projections of different sizes and shapes. So there's one species that takes, or one genus or whatever, that takes the stolen stinging cells, somehow transports them into its own skin on its own back so that when fish swim by and try to nibble this sea slug and try to eat it, those fish get stung with stolen stinging cells. Now, when I read that, I said, Professor Fisher didn't tell me that, and it all came together. It all fell in place for me. Because the only way you can get that is by a super genius designer who understands intimately the biochemistry, the physiology, the anatomy of these completely different creatures. And he integrated them from the beginning so that they could do it. Otherwise, how would they possibly do this? And I thought, that's it. Evolution's out. Evolution's out for me. And I went back to, to Colossians, and I read it again, and it says, okay, for by him all things were created. So why was I giving credit that he deserves to nature? Why was I doing that? Well, because that's the culture we live in. So I had to repent of that. So I had to say, Lord, I'm sorry for giving credit to nature for what only you could have done. And I invite you to do that with me this morning. Are you tempted to, do that, to fall in with what the culture says about natural processes, being able to craft and create and form creatures and you? That's robbing the Lord Jesus of the credit that he deserves because he did it and he's the only one who could have done it. Well, 
It says by him, and it means it, and science backs it up. The second aspect of um, Colossians 1.16 that encourages us, in fact, well, compels us to elevate the Lord Jesus, is in the same verse. By him all things were created, and then it says this, both in the heavens and on earth. Does that remind you of a particular verse about creation and heaven and earth? It's the most popular verse in the world. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, not natural processes, created the heavens and the earth. So this passage is hearkening back to Genesis 1.1. So in the first place, we should elevate the Lord Jesus because he's the person who did the work of creation, not natural processes. And now we're saying and seeing that it was the word, the communication, the, the passages, the scriptures that he left behind. Let's elevate those too. Because after all, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. John 1, 1. So if we're going to elevate Jesus as the beginner of all things, why not also elevate the word of Jesus, the living word and the written word together because they both stand together. And so that's where I'm headed with this one. Uh, so that's the second aspect is, the, can we trust Genesis as it's written? Well, if you have doubts about it, I mean, have you ever had doubts about it? Have you ever read Genesis and gone, yeah, I'm not so sure, but this sounds kind of weird. Join the club. But did you know that there's answers? There are answers to our objections about Genesis. And I had one big objection and it had to do with fossils. So when I went into this passage, I was like, okay, maybe Jesus did this, but did he do it according to Genesis? In other words, he gets the credit but for doing it, but did he do it when he said he did, how he said he did, in the order that he said he did in the book of Genesis? Well, here Colossians says, he made heavens and earth, hearkening back to that book of Genesis. So I had to go back to Genesis and think, all right, what aspects of this book, of this text, you know, do I disagree with? And one of them was the assignment of fossils to ages and ages long ago. Like, you know, I grew up learning about the age of reptiles. That's represented by these rock layers that have dinosaur fossils in them. And I study those now. And, and I've become convinced, based on the fossil features that I see, that uh, they don't represent ages at all. And I think they fit in Noah's flood. Um, that's what best explains them. And so how did I go from believing that these represent ages, ages, uh, you know, and vast eons of death before sin, and now I think that they represent uh, lots and lots of death in Noah's flood, which happened after sin, after the curse. Well, it had to do with a famous fossil. I'll show you a picture of it. You want to say it with me? Say it after me. I'll say it first, and then you say Archaeopteryx. That was bumpy, y'all. Okay, we're working on it. Archaeo means old, and then P-T-E-R always refers to wings, so it's old wings. Anyway, it's a dead bird, and there's the dead bird. Um, <laughs> Professor Fisher in the last day of class. He used this device that we used to use back in the 1800s called an overhead projector. And he had a transparency, and he slapped it on the overhead projector and turned it on and projected this, Archaeopteryx, on the screen in the back of the classroom. 
And uh, he said, if you don't remember anything else about this class, and I could just hear what he didn't say, you podunk, East Texas, dim-witted, backwoods, Bible-believing Christian students, <clears throat> back, to, back to what he's actually saying, if you don't remember anything else from this class, remember this, proof of evolution. Look, it's mostly bird, but it retains elements from its reptilian past because this bird evolved from reptiles same as you you evolved from reptilian ancestry too remember that class in other words remember to chuck your bibles out the window and to chop colossians one out of your bibles and you know if you're going to re remove that you might as well remove the rest of the bible because everything in scripture is based on genesis name one doctrine that doesn't have its foundation in genesis by the way, everyone's wearing clothes today. Thank you very much. Where's the doctrine of clothing come from? Genesis. Some of us are married, okay, or going to get married. Genesis. Some of us are males and some of us are females. Genesis. It all comes back, back to there. So if you're going to reject Genesis, you've got to reject it all. And I had a problem with that, so I thought, does this really prove evolution? He told me, did Professor Fisher. This is proof of evolution. And so, uh, imagine my um, peaked interest when I got to page, what is it, 84 in the book, Scientific Creationism. And there it says Archaeopteryx. And I said, ha, what's this creationist going to say about proof of evolution? Because this creationist didn't go to Germany, where this fossil was from, put his hands on it and, and investigate it personally. Um, you, but you know what he did? He quoted from the evolutionist's who did go to Germany and did examine the fossils personally. And you know what they said about this fossil? He just quoted them. And they said, uh, Archaeopteryx was just a bird. Look at them feathers. You know, CM wings. <laughs> L-I-B-M-R bird. <laughs> and then I thought, wait a minute. Professor Fisher said it's got teeth in its beak, that's from its reptilian past. It's got little claws on its wings, that's from its reptilian past. And it has, and it has a, a long bony tail. Modern birds don't have long bony tails, so that's from its reptilian past. And then I thought, I looked in the mirror. Oh, I said, oh, I have teeth too. Does that mean, uh, does that mean I, does that mean it evolved from a mammal or to a mammal just because it has teeth? Teeth are not exclusively reptilian. And there's a, some birds today that have a few teeth in their beaks, at least when they're young. So no one says that they're part of this evolutionary chain. And there's some birds today that have a little claw right here. They're in South America. Uh, and they're not part of this evolutionary chain. And then, uh, you know, monkeys have tails too. <laughs> so a long pony tail isn't necessarily reptilian after all. And uh, no wonder these evolutionists who believe that you should jettison Genesis, they're the ones saying, it's just a dead bird. And no one back to Genesis. Okay, did does the does Lord Jesus get credit for creating? Yes, because only He could make sea anemones and sea slugs and me to work the way we all do. But did He do it the way He said according to Genesis? For by all thin, for by Him all things were created, both in heaven in the heavens and on earth. So here's a bird on earth. Um, did, did he do it the way he said it in Genesis? According to kinds. Well, it was a bird, and then it died. 
where's the, where's the evidence that it wasn't a bird at one time or that it turned into something not bird? So anyway, dead birds don't show anything but creation according to kinds. And, um, and then I thought, maybe Genesis deserves more credit than what I've been giving it. So I began to elevate my view of Genesis as my uh, trust in evolution began to crumble. Because if the very evolutionists, and, and let me put it this way, if this really was proof of evolution, like Dr. Fisher insisted that it was, then it would be obvious to all evolutionists who want to believe it so bad anyways that they'll take any evidence to support it, and uh, they don't all agree. So for one who says this is proof of evolution, another one says, no, it's just a dead, it's an evolutionary dead end. It's no, it doesn't belong in the chain of, in the chain of, uh, of animals that led to, uh, to birds or to us. It's just a dead bird. Okay. Crumbling faith in evolution, elevating trust in God's word. That's what was happening in my life. And so this second aspect comes right out of Colossians. All things in heaven, on earth, just the way he said it in Genesis. So Genesis gets credit as the word of God. So we have the person who did the work, that's the Lord Jesus. And then we have what he said about what he did, that's Genesis. And both of them are, are, are becoming uh, defensible more and more defensible, more defensible than I thought they would be. How do you defend the, the idea that the Lord Jesus created things? Because only an intelligent mind could put together the complexity that we have. How do you defend the idea that Genesis explains these things, uh, where we came from? Uh, well, for example, I'll give you two examples. There's, there's, uh, there's, a, there's books on the table of examples <laughs> that we have for you today. I'll just give you two. Number one, creation according to kinds. We see it's either going to be an archaeopteryx or not. I mean, not at all. It's either going to be a bird or not a bird. So creation according to kinds is what we, it's a clam. There's clam fossils. You know what we have today? Clams. You know what we have today? Birds. You know what we had back then? Clams. We had back then? We had back then? Birds. So if it's, so it's, it stays faithful to its kind, its created kind. We see that in today's kinds and we see that born out in the fossil record. And also, second, the second way that I think this fossil in particular uh, demonstrates the defensibility of the Genesis account of creation is, I mean, look at this, splat. How do you get that? Like, that's a bird that's locked in mud. Where does that happen today? Does that happen today? <laughs> Everyone do this? No. Doesn't happen today. Does not happen today. Um, but it happened in the past, and we have bird fossils mixed in with the dinosaurs. This was in the layers below the dinosaurs, even though it was supposed to be descended from them. Oops. <laughs> Catastrophic burial does not happen today, nor does it happen in widespread layers, widespread like uh, covering half of a continent. So some of the rock layers that I've done excavations in cover all of Montana and Wyoming and beyond. I mean, this is a lot of mud splatted out really fast, all in one event. Catastrophic, watery burial. That's how you get a bird, take it out of the sky, smash it into mud, bury it so fast that it doesn't get scavenged, because that's what happens when today's birds die. They get scavenged. Or, <laughs> my, my daughter, she's so precious, she's walking in her neighborhood one day, and she sees a bird that has fallen out of its nest, and it's on the ground, and she's like, Oh, the bird, I need to put it back. 
and she's stepping toward the bird, and underneath her foot, she feels crunch. There was more than one bird. So she came home crying. I don't have any idea why I shared that. (laughs) Except that birds on the ground aren't turning into fossils, whether you step on them or not. They're going to get crunched by something uh, and munched by something else. And so, but that did not happen to these fossils, and we have uh, kajillions of them. That's a scientific number. Kajillions of them. Okay, so that means that these were buried in Noah's flood, and guess what that does? That takes all this record of death and places it 1,656 years after creation and the fall and the curse. Death came from sin. So that means if death is the result of sin, sin comes first, then death comes after. Otherwise, if we have millions of years of, of death before sin, then we sort of erase the foundation for the gospel, which is leading to my third point. So three aspects that we see that cause us to elevate uh, the Lord Jesus. Um, he's in Genesis. He's the one who, who generated it all. And then Genesis, the book, actually, is a record of his spoken words. That's defensible. And then the third aspect, the third aspect is where it gets personal, y'all. Gets personal. Uh, Thinking about uh, how can I accommodate um, millions of years of death and evolution into this Bible. So that's what I've tried to do, and I've looked at all the different options. So, for example, we have theistic evolution which is this idea that, um, and I tried it. I tried all these ideas, and I kind of went through them. That's why I crossed them out. This is the idea that, yeah, maybe God's responsible, but he used millions of years of death in order to produce all the creatures. Um, And then I looked at, again, at the sea slug and the anemone, and I thought, well, you can't get that through death of many creatures. You just have dead creatures. You won't have this system where they interact so intimately. And so there's no evolution, whether you call it theistic or atheistic. So what does theistic mean, by the way? Kids, theism. Theism. That means God exists, and he exists outside the universe. He created the universe. He's not part of the universe. But he can reach into the universe and do whatever he wants to do. In other words, he can do miracles. So that's theism. That's theistic God. What about atheism? That's when we say, there's no God anywhere. You know, to which I want to ask, have you been everywhere? (laughs) That's the only way to figure that one out. Uh, the framework hypothesis, oh, this became popular. It's a nice way to take Genesis and go, nah, bing, flick it off the table. Uh, so, so the framework hypothesis says the first three days of creation uh, are, are described where God's making places, and, this, and the second three days of the six-day creation week just describes how God is inhabiting those places. So far, so good. He made a place for us to be, and then he's duck stars and animals and humans in those places in, uh, in the second three days. Um, that's great. But these guys say, because there's a framework, there's a structure to this text, therefore it's myth. And I just want to say, just because it's structured, if I write a letter to you and it has a structure to the letter and a form to what I'm trying to say, does it mean that everything I'm writing to you in the letter is myth? Not at all. It just means I care that you remember it and that I, well, to me, this says God framed the world according to an order. So it reflects the fact that he's an orderly God, not that it's uh, some sort of a myth. 
Today, they have these folks that come to churches and they say, you, you, need to, you need to remember that we're the experts and we know ancient Near Eastern literature. And Genesis is, belongs to a, a genre of ancient Near Eastern literature called exalted narrative. And this genre it just expresses impressions about who God is. Never was meant to tell us the details about where we came from. To which I want to say, Okay, what ancient Near Eastern texts? You see, they've invented this phrase, exalted narrative. They've invented a category of text called exalted narrative, and then they shove Genesis 1 into that category so that they can pretend like it doesn't tell us where we came from. I also want to ask them this. If that's exalted narrative and we're supposed to get rid of it, then why did Paul quote from it as though it's not exalted narrative and as though it's actual history? Why did Jesus himself quote from it? Mark 10:6. Have you not read? He that made them in the beginning made them male and female. Jesus himself quoting from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 in that same passage talking to the Pharisees. Uh, so anyway, exalted narrative didn't work for me. And then day-age theory, you know, where the, each day of creation was supposed to represent, uh, you know, ages or eons. And I remember first learning about this one. And this is back when I was trying to fit millions of years of evolution into the Bible because I was struggling with how it all is supposed to work. And I thought, maybe Jesus is responsible. I got that much, but I still can't get rid of my belief in millions of years and eons and rock layers. You have to have a lot of time to make rock layers, right? Turns out, no, you just need a lot of water. And guess what the Bible talks about in uh, Genesis 6, 7, and 8? A lot of water, a lot enough water to cover the world. You don't need a lot of time to make layers, you just need a lot of water, and we had that. Uh, anyway, we were driving along in, in Nacogdoches while I was in school, and my buddy was driving his pickup, and I was in the passenger seat, and we're driving toward campus, and I asked him, you know, I, I'm, I'm really struggling with what Genesis means, I, because it's so unfamiliar to me. It just doesn't fit what I've been told about where I came from. And he said, oh, I got it all figured out. And, and I said, do tell, I want to learn this. There's a verse in Peter what says, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. So, and he did, he had his hand on the top of the steering wheel, because that's how you drive when you're cool. And he said, and so them days in creation could have been a thousand years or more. There's really no telling. And uh, I said, that's that, that's it. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's how I can accommodate millions of years of evolution into the, into the history that we seem to read in this text. And so I found that verse in 2 Peter 3, verse 8, and it did say, with the Lord, day is as a thousand years. But then I read the rest of the verse, and a thousand years is as a day, which reverses that right back. <laughs> so it just refuted itself. Anyway, if you have these ages mean, days mean ages, then... Um, Really, nothing can mean anything because um, it says morning and evening, and it gives a number. Morning, evening, number, day. Morning, evening, number, day. And every time and anywhere else you read the morning and evening, and then a number, day one, day two, day three, uh, it always references a real day. And if, it can't, if day can't mean day, then we can make any word mean whatever we want it to mean, and therefore the Bible becomes meaningless. So if it's going to mean anything, it has to mean what it says. And so, and then finally, how many more of these do we have? Oh, there's so many compromise positions. So progressive creation, God made sea slugs, and then he waited a million years, and then he made uh, 
the next animal, algae, and then he waited a million years, then he made land plants. In other words, it's a way to accommodate um, um, evolution into the text by uh, butchering the text. And then gap theory says uh, this idea that you have this um, indeterminate period of time between verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 1. So all these, and especially progressive creation and gap theory, guess what they have? They suffer from one huge theological problem. They place death before sin. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to accommodate. How do you get these rock layers? Because you've got to have millions of years to make rock layers. And so it's a record of millions of years of death and suffering. And, you know, I've seen dinosaur bone cancer. I've seen dinosaur uh, tooth marks, you know, gouged into other dinosaur bones. They were eating each other. This was violent and it was not very good. But at the end of creation week, God said, behold, I've looked at everything I've made, and it's all very good. So cancer and death and thorns in the fossil record, that's all very good. Whereas in Genesis 3, after sin, God says, now I'm going to make thorns, now I'm going to make death. So are we really going to say that God got it wrong just because there's fossils of dead things? Problem solved. Put those fossils in the flood. And then you have death after sin which recovers the foundation for the gospel itself. What did Jesus go and do for us? He died. He paid the death penalty that we deserve to pay. But he paid it on our behalf. So we're the sinners. He never sinned. But he paid the penalty anyways. And then he rose up from death, defeating death. Death is the enemy. Death is not the generator of new life forms. I'm suggesting that we elevate the Lord Jesus because of these three aspects. The first aspect, Jesus gets credit. And we need to say, yes, Lord, you do deserve credit. Only you could do this. Jesus' word in Genesis deserves our highest esteem. So have we been thinking in Genesis, about Genesis with a... Have we been thinking about it like the serpent, you know talk to Eve. Has God really said you should not eat of the tree? I mean, that's what, that was me. Did God really say day? Did he really mean this? Okay, today may be your day where you decide, okay, I'm going to decide. God really meant what he said. Um, today may be the day when you're like, I don't know, but I want to find out. But we have tons of resources to help you find out. Get equipped, get answers so that you can know with the truth about where you came from because only then will you know the truth about where you're going and why you're here. The three most fundamental questions of all of life. Where did we come from? Oh, pond scum, millions of years, chance processes. Is that the truth? If so, then you're going to oblivion and the reason you're here is no reason at all. To live for yourself, I guess. To have fun. Okay, those, that's one way to answer that set of questions. It's an empty way to live. And it ignores the science, the science that supports Scripture. And it ignores the Word of God itself. On the other hand, the Word teaches different answers to those three questions. Where did I come from? Adam, the Son of God. God created Adam. I came from him. That means I have a responsibility to my Creator. Where am I going? I don't know. There's options that the Bible gives us, aren't there? You can go to a place where you pay for your own sins, or you can go to a place where Jesus already paid for your sins. And so you, could, you can repent of your sins and trust in Him, 
and live with him. If you do that, then the reason you're here is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Forever. That's the, that's the message the Bible presents, and I'm saying that there's plenty of science to back it up. So we elevate the Lord Jesus. He's the creator. We elevate his word in Genesis. He created the way he said he did. And then look at back at, at Colossians 1.16, our last glance at the passage. Guess what? It says, all things have been created through him and what? For him. Are you a created thing or did you make yourself? We're, we are creations too, aren't we? We were created through him, but why were we created th- through him? Well, we're created for him. We're created for, to worship him, to enjoy and love and serve him forever. Have you done that? Would you like to do that? I'd invite you this morning to do that if you haven't. Lord, and it would take a form of a prayer. Lord, I've been living for me, but I'm supposed to live for you. Please take my life. Do with it what you will. You can pray that prayer this morning. So, elevate the Lord Jesus as creator. For me, he was my savior, but I didn't know him as creator. But you can know him as both. And he goes from a tiny God to a titanic God that you can't even wrap your mind around. Totally worth worshiping. Elevate your view of Genesis. And if you're skeptical about it, find answers to your objections. Get those answers. They are out there. Uh, and, then, uh, and then third, worship the worship of Jesus. And uh, uh, he says, you're created for him, so give your life to him. So to get those answers, I got a few uh, resources I want to point out. Creation Basics for Families answers all the basic questions like, what about the Ice Age? How, where does that fit in the Bible? What about dinosaurs? We'll talk about that this afternoon, um, today also. And then, um, uh, you know, what about the gap theory? If you want to learn more about that, we have those answers to those kinds of questions in here in these resources. If you're in college, heading to college, uh, or high school, in Creation Basics and beyond, uh, did you know that creatures have mechanisms within their bodies where they detect the world around them and they adapt themselves They adapt their eggs and sperm so that the next generation has fitted features to the challenges that are in its environment and that this is all happening internally. No one talks about this. We talk about it in Creation Basics and Beyond. Uh, We have a a little booklet I just wrote, um, uh, Why the World Looks So Young. I feel like this is the tip of the spear point. Like This is the part where if you say to someone, yeah, I think the world's only 6,000 years old because that's what the Scripture teaches. They're going to go, you are a moron. And so we're here to say, well, there's actually plenty of science that also backs it up because there are so many time clocks from the universe down to single cells and everything in between, earth-like earth processes. So I summarize these in one little booklet. Uh, the booklet is $2. The cardboard package is $1. And the cellophane wrapping, again, that's totally free on that one. And then for kids, dinosaurs for kids, had a Sunday school teacher say, I was reading this to my kids in Sunday school, and I didn't know that dinosaurs had soft tissue still inside of them. I was learning about dinosaurs from your kid's book. And I said, yay, keep reading, keep learning. And then finally, Acts and Facts, our free uh, magazine. And Days of Praise, you know, it's like a daily devotional, like our daily bread, except 
ours is meteor. So I think theirs is like our daily wafer. Uh, so, so days of praise is like, let's, let's get down to the nitty gritty and, and uh, praise the Lord, our great creator and savior. Amen? He's our creator and savior. Thanks, everybody. Amen. It was so good. And let's close out this time with a, a worshipful song as we worship him. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Lord, I worship you because of who Of who you are, one more time. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I worship you because of who. my prince of 
Thank you, Juan and Kristen. Um, it was 1992. I was on a mission trip to Belize, and we went out to the Keys and went snorkeling. And um, I had that experience where um, doc, what Dr. Thomas said today about turning and like I, God was like this, I think. Um, but I started snorkeling, and I was seeing like just amazing fish I was like oh my goodness and I remember exact I was snorkeling and looking at the fish and saying Lord I am so sorry I have limited your creation to about what I can imagine and um, you're just so amazing so uh, it is awesome to be able to see God's creation we live in such a fast paced society just to stop for 10 minutes right we have a hummingbird figure outside, and I love watching those hummingbirds. I sit there like an old man and I eat cashews and watch hummingbirds. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're visiting with us today, we're glad you're with us. And um, we have an afternoon session at 2 o'clock around that time, give or take, um, hopefully around 2 o'clock. We have a Southland barbecue truck outside, uh, and so there's barbecue here you guys to go purchase there are some places to eat up and down this road here there's a subway you go out the driveway and go left uh before you get to the red light on the right there's a subway back in there in the dairy queen and uh but southland barbecue is in the parking lot so uh, we uh, hope uh, you're able to find something to eat and then return at two o'clock for another session with dr thomas so let's uh have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed, right? Lord, I'm sure we've all had those moments where we've just stopped and said, wow, you're, you're just <laughs> so much greater than what um, we've made you. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would encourage us as we walk each day with you as believers. Encourage us to think through what you've already communicated in your word about yourself and about your creation. And if there is one here today that has not turned from whatever they're trusting in and trusted uh, you as Savior, Lord, I pray that today could be that day of salvation. And we thank you for uh, the ministry of Dr. Thomas and ICR. We thank you for the ministry of, um, of Juan and Kristen 
We just pray for them in a, in a special way, Lord, that you will continue to uh, assist them in the ministry that you've given them. We just thank you so much for our time together this morning. We look forward to returning uh, in just a couple of hours together as we hear more about your design. And all this uh, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.